From FL1 News, this is Inside the FLX. I'm Josh Durso, and today's episode is brought to you by Platinum Sponsor DeSanto Propane. Visit DeSantoPropane.com to learn more about them and go to fingerlegs1.com slash supporters to find out how you can help our mission too. Uh, thanks for clicking, watching, and listening. We are discussing the Family Hope Center, and for that, we have the center's executive director, Doreen Teed, in studio. Doreen, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's get the, the easy question out of the way first. What is the Family Hope Center? And give us a little background on what that organization uh, does. Family Hope Center is, in essence, a pregnancy care center. We are part of CareNet, which is a national organization. And basically what we do is we offer a free pregnancy test, a free limited ultrasound referral. And beyond that, what we do mostly is... Um, we offer a lot of parenting classes and parenting support where girls can receive material aid for their visits. And you guys are located in Geneva, but what does sort of the, the, the Hope Center's uh, coverage area actually look like? Where, where are folks coming from? Most of the time they are coming from Geneva. We do see girls from Penyan, sometimes Canandaigua, Waterloo, Seneca Falls, and a few times down in Lower Seneca County, but that is a distance. Right, and it's interesting because uh, one of the, there are a lot of organizations uh, out there in the Finger Lakes that are are sort of uh, serving different groups of underserved uh, Mm -hmm. populations and communities, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard to sort of keep tabs on all of them because there are Mm -hmm. so many, and they're all doing great work. Um, But it's interesting. I I thought that, that what you guys do, uh, stuck out a little bit in terms of it seems like uh, a, a pretty unique um, corner of the market that you guys have have uh, worked on, so to speak. Talk to me a little bit about the um, how that part of it sort of came to be. I guess that's the the real curiosity is how was the need identified, and then how did the, the Hope Center go through the actual process of becoming what it is now. Well, it's interesting that you asked me this now because I just recently studied our history. Um, Family Hope Center has been in Geneva for 25 years. Now, they started under the name um, Pregnancy Care Center of the Finger Lakes, Mm -hmm. and then later on they took on the CareNet, which is kind of like the overseeing organization, CareNet Pregnancy Care Center of the Finger Lakes. And then when I became the director, we transitioned into Family Hope Center, Um, That's a great story in and of itself. Um, So pregnancy care centers really were designed to give information to young women who are looking to have an abortion. We don't do abortions. We don't refer for them. But we want to offer women the information of the procedures, the possible risks, um, and just to support them through this decision-making process. And then they realized there was a need for follow-up support. You can't be, you know, telling young girls, well, you should have this baby and then not support them in some manner. So the follow-up support came with all the parenting education, pregnancy education, referrals, and whatnot. So that is what a pregnancy care center is designed to do. So 25 years ago, a group of people um, in this area got together and said, we'd like to see one of these in in Geneva. And um, we have started four other centers in local communities as well. 
That's interesting. And, and when you look at like the average year, I guess, what would how many uh, women are coming uh, through your doors seeking counsel, looking uh, for the referrals and the different things that that you guys offer? Um, I guess that would probably be a question on the top of most people's minds mm-hmm. is after you identify the need, mm-hmm. what does the demand actually look like and how is that playing out? We usually see uh, 100 to 130 different clients every year. It, um, it varies year to year, and but I've been doing the statistics for many years. I've been there for 15 years. So it's it's usually at least 100 different women coming through, and men. We do see men who come in for parenting support. We're seeing a lot um, of couples who no longer have their children, and they need that parenting education as part of getting their children back. So, it's you know, the ministry has evolved over the past 25 years, and we kind of let it go to what the need is. That's interesting. Now, when you look, um, when you look at the the community, particularly G- Geneva, mm-hmm. um, what are the great? You talked a little bit about the the parenting, the the education, uh, the counseling aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Is that where sort of the greatest need is, rather than direct uh, referrals, or is it sort of an equal balance throughout the year? Or, or what does it look like on that front? That seems to have changed as well, and I think it really depends on the climate of who the director is and the people who are working in the center. And in this day and age, the young girls who are coming in, any information they want is on the Internet. They don't need us for information. We ask them, what did you come here for? I need somebody to talk to. I need some support. Or I need the referrals, but we are finding that this is a generation that they need to talk out these things, and that's what that's what we do with them. So, twofold. I got a twofold follow up question for that. Obviously, um, I would imagine that makes the job a little more difficult because every every client becomes a little different in that mm-hmm. regard. Everybody comes in at a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how how do you handle that? Part of it, and how do you be nimble enough to be able to go any direction with any client that comes through? And then on the other side of that is, how many uh, employees do you actually have working in the center uh, okay. to handle what could be, I guess, an, an overwhelming demand from time to time? Well, let's start with the second question. We, right now, we have three employees. We have myself. I am the director. We have Wilma Miller, and she is. She is a wonderful counselor. She is, she's wonderful with the girls, and she does also the finances. Then I have Kylie, who is a millennial, and she brings a whole new aspect to, to what we do. She is great with the girls, and yes, you do. You do have to follow along, but it's, it's probably not as hard as you think because if you're listening to what they're saying, you just go down that road. You know, and they right. give you clues. They want to talk. We're not professional counselors, so we don't give advice. And if a girl came in and she had an addiction problem, we would be saying, you should be talking to Flacra. Do you go to Flacra? <laughs> you know, what does this look like for you? If we find out she's in a, a domestic violence situation, we would be like, do you want us to call Safe Harbors? We We are not professional counselors. We're just there to have conversation, and um, send them where they need to go. 
And, and when it comes to that, I would imagine sometimes that becomes difficult. Um, frequently on this program, we talk about uh, gaps in services mm -hmm. and, and how difficult it is to provide uh, a really wide-ranging uh, mm -hmm. support system in rural Finger Lakes. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the gaps that you guys have kind of identified over the years and, and see sort of play out over and over where there isn't necessarily a, a, an ideal or perfect fit um, for the folks who are coming in and seeking out this, this counsel and help? I think the biggest gap is there's no place for people to go when they're homeless. I think that's the biggest one. I think that um, also it's hard when you have teenagers who are pregnant, scared to tell their parents, afraid they're going get, to get kicked out. Where do they go? Um, I think that a lot of the girls that we see are pretty well covered. Unfortunately, what we see the most is girls have those opportunities, they just don't follow up with them. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a real problem. You know, there's all these opportunities for help and they just don't take it. Right. I think that's a big problem. What does it say, um, or I guess, how do you contend with the fact that there are, are girls who are coming in who, who want to talk it out? You mentioned this gen mm -hmm. the, the current generation wants to talk it out, um, but n can't always or doesn't always have that support mm -hmm. at home to be able to have that conversation at home. Um, what does that sort of say about the the, the parent, uh, parent child dynamic present mm -hmm. day versus what might have been um, at an earlier time? I think when it comes to teenage pregnancy, it's always been this way, unfortunately. Um, I think it says a lot parents aren't paying attention or parents are being very permissive thinking she probably won't get pregnant and if out of sight, out of mind, I think is a big problem. But I think, you know, I was pregnant as a teenager and it was not easy for me to tell my parents. So I think that's what brings me there is I get that. Mm -hmm. um, I think my if I could change one thing, it would be I would talk to these parents and say, do not assume your child is not being sexually active. You need to wake up. You need to really see what's going on, especially in this culture where it's so prevalent. But I think things get dulled down, watered down generation to generation, and here we are. I, okay, so I, I want to talk a little more about that because you mentioned the culture, and um, if you work in the media, you, you see it, you live it every day. But mm -hmm. um, it, it still amazes me given how sexualized uh, music is, the, the various forms of marketing and advertising that we see on TV, even in sort of passive scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and just like you said, the way culture is, how does it feel a little bit insane that it's still not accepted as being, it's there. Like mm -hmm. We can't dance around this. Parents mm -hmm. don't have the opportunity or shouldn't be burying their heads in the sand over it. What is the, where is the disconnect then? If they're seeing this, is it so normalized that it just, that's where we are? I think that's it. I think that from my generation it, to now, it's really become just the norm. We just expect it. And I think it sneaks in just little by little by little. You know, it's just gradual. But it is true, and it is so frightening. That's one of the reasons that we're doing um, Courageous Beauty, which is our girls group. We want to reach girls that are 11, 12, 13. Talk to them about healthy choices. Talk to them about what they're listening to, what they're looking at, the relationships that they're in. 
and how do you make a healthy choice out of all of this? Mm-hmm. Because you can do that, but healthy choices is a big thing, but I don't know. People don't seem to get it. And when you have parents that are not making healthy choices, how can you expect their children to make healthy choices? And, and it is that does that feel like it's part of the I guess the new problem would be with, given the different factors that are at play, social media, uh, the way people are consuming media now in general, and then mm-hmm. um, the differences between the current uh, parenting generation and the last uh, parenting mm-hmm. generation. Maybe the things that they this generation picked up from the last uh, aren't quite all the tools they necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, where do you start if this conversation ever happens? Where do you start with the education side for parents? How do you how do you try to broach that topic so that they don't feel talked at, rather they feel like they're they're being given a set of tools and resources to kind of be aware of what's going on around them and with their kids? Yeah, that is a great question, and that is something really, really good to think about. That is not something that we really have had opportunity to do. So I guess I'm not sure where you would start with that. Okay, so I'm gonna, I, I want to throw it to you. As, as somebody who has lived um, the, the, the circumstances that some of the girls mm-hmm. have, have gone through, um, and as a parent, mm-hmm. where do you, like, when you look around and you think to yourself, boy, it would be a lot easier if people just had this conversation at this point instead mm-hmm. of waiting until this time. Is, is there part of like a, maybe if we start having conversations with kids when they're a little bit younger and, and start giving them the tools to make good decisions rather than just kind of crossing our fingers and hoping so, right. um, is that maybe the the one area where there is an easy fix or, or what could be an easier fix than maybe addressing some of the big societal problems that we clearly have. Right. I think that that would be an important fix. Um, So you mentioned me having been in this situation when it came to my girls, and I had two girls and then I had two boys that had girlfriends. I was very open with them about this conversation. And I was open with them. I didn't say, don't have sex. I'm telling you, don't have sex. I didn't say to them, don't have sex. The Bible says not to. I, had, I said, don't have sex because I did this. I know what it brought into my life, and I want something different for you. And I think that parents need to be having those conversations. And in this society, it needs to happen very, very early on, unfortunately. So I think that there's age-appropriate conversation, obviously, but I think it needs to start early on, and I lost my train of thought. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so. When you mentioned something that I did want to touch on a little bit, um, abstinence, the teaching of it, mm-hmm. sort of the the idea that if you just tell somebody no, don't do this, even if it's a, a young child, that they just won't do it. Um, it. It probably isn't being openly taught as much now as maybe it was 30 or 40 years ago. Right. Um, but I would assume it's still a problem, and the but with the things that you have seen, with you guys have seen, um, what are some of those challenges that come along with when a, a child is growing up hearing no, 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 
and then they're in this situation. Is that really where the break happens oftentimes when, when they don't feel comfortable having that conversation anymore because they have been told no and, and the conversation really hasn't been any deeper than that? I think that the break really comes from peer pressure. Oh. I think that that has a lot to do with it. I also think that you're right, the abstinent conversation does not happen a lot. I think that society now in general has the idea kids are going to have sex anyways, so let's do this. You know, let's let's teach them about birth control. Mm-hmm. Well, we ask every girl who comes into our center, were you using birth control? No. Mm. No. I would say maybe 1% is using birth control. So assuming that you're telling them, here, use birth control, and this will help with the problem, they're not using it anyways because they think it can't happen to me. And that's interesting because it seems like, um, especially when you start to talk to uh, older groups, uh, late teens, early 20s, the assumption tends to be in most cases that the feeling is that every, everyone is on birth control and everyone is mm-hmm. taking the necessary steps to protect themselves mm-hmm. in all the different ways. Um, how do you, because I'm sure that has some unintended consequences, just sort of that mindset that, well, everything's fine, everyone's doing it, everyone's taking the precautions. Mm-hmm. How do you break through that with, with younger teens who, who probably um, are hearing that, but mm-hmm. not, not in the same group, not in the same demographic by any means? How do you break through to that group? This is this is Kylie's group. She's really good at this. I'm kind of old for this. Um, so sorry about that. I think that you just have to have those honest conversations with them about that and tell them. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that birth control is important. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for unintended pregnancies. It's for um, unintended, unintended um, STDs and STIs. And... Um, the whole thing is just so crazy. Like, we ask girls, were you using birth control? No. Have you ever been tested for an STD or STI? No. How about your boyfriend? I couldn't even ask him that, she would say. And I just want to scream and shake them and say, if you cannot talk about these things with your boyfriend, you are not ready to be having sex. I think they need to understand that with sex comes responsibility. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, it comes with responsibility. It It is a choice that has responsibility that goes along with it because there are consequences. And if you are not ready to face those consequences, then maybe you're not ready to be sexually active. I think that's what we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at your organization and, and what your day sort of looks like, uh, what does the typical day for um, for the center sort of look like uh, give, give us that sort of bird's eye view of you know what's going on there during the day whether mm-hmm. there's uh, whether clients are coming in or not um, we usually have at least a few clients every day um, this again has evolved and changed over the years right now we're doing a lot of parenting classes and a lot of bible studies mm-hmm. and this is where women can earn the material support that they need We are also seeing many women who do not have their children, so they're just coming in for the classes because they have no need for the material support. So that is mostly what we see. We don't do a lot of pregnancy tests. They come and go. Mm -hmm. 
when you talk about the classes, I want to dig into that a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting because that's one of those uh, one of those areas where um, churches have one way of approaching that that whole um, counseling. Uh, right. Mental health professionals have their own way of, of right. going into it. Where do you guys sort of enter that, and what does the discussion or the conversation or the teaching look like there as opposed to in those other areas? Okay. First, um, you mentioned churches and mental health, and I, I had already said that we are not professional counsels. Right. Um, you have picked up that we're probably faith-based mm-hmm. because, you know, I've talked a little bit about that. Because we're faith-based, that causes us to do what we do, but it, we do not use our faith to um, push it on anybody. Right. So, you know, whenever we do anything, it's always permission-based. Any conversation that we have with, a, with somebody is a very permission-based conversation. So we use curriculum. It's put out by Heritage House, and it's um, Earn While You Learn Curriculum is what it's called. And so there are numerous DVDs, and then there's worksheets that go with it. And we watch them with the girls. And then we have the conversation. And again, if they don't want to talk about something, we don't talk about it. So do we always agree with the curriculum? Maybe not always, especially when it comes to parenting issues. But it's, it's a good conversation starter. What did you think about this? Is this something you would do? How do you feel about this? You know, spanking is a huge issue. There's always good conversation about that. You know, discipline, how to discipline is always a good conversation. So we just kind of use this curriculum and then have that conversation. Really what we do the most is just talk mm-hmm. with each other and let them share their feelings. And it's interesting. You mentioned uh, how much discussion or teaching or counseling goes into the sort of the discipline side of parenting. That's mm-hmm. probably the area that most people think of when they think about challenges in parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you that you do teach or, or talk about with particularly younger parents um, mm-hmm. about how to how to dive into that without getting into any gray areas or or, you know, harming the child or, or mentally straining themselves? How do you help them navigate uh, discipline in a healthy way? I Well, this is going to be obviously a lot of personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that disciplining your children has to start fairly early um, because it, it gets easier if you, if you do. Um, and I understand why women don't want to spank because they've been abused. I get that. But I think, you know, we just talk about consistency is huge. Consistency is very huge. If you're telling your child not to do that, um, then you need to follow up with some sort of a consequence. Whatever you choose that to be is fine. Um, Also, the stepping back if you're angry. You know, if you're so overwhelmed, ask for help. You know, step back, do what you need to do, that sort of thing. So, um yeah, and again, we're all different. Everybody who is there is different. Kylie doesn't have children, mm-hmm. so you know she looks at it differently. Um, I have grown children and grandchildren, you know, and you tend to spoil grandchildren, yeah. so that you know. But we have volunteers, many volunteers from many stages of life, and um, I I really think going back to God, I think when God sends us a client, 
he sends it to the person that really would be best suited for that. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. And so, you know, if a girl comes in and she really is struggling with this, to me, it always looks like God is like, okay, Maria's here today. She'd be a great one to work with her. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it works. And on the logistical side of, of obviously you're serving as executive director of the Hope Center, um, it's important to have folks from all different walks of life mm-hmm. just to be able to logistically handle all of the different different people who are coming in. Um, to that end, how important is having a really good team that, mm-hmm. that you probably have worked pretty hard to assemble around <laughs> you? How important is that in terms of being able to get the day-to-day done um, and, and keep the, the progress going? Well, it's extremely important. You have to have people around you that you could, you know, there are things that we have to do every day. Mm-hmm. Kylie and myself and Wilma, Wilma has to do the book work. She has to do the finances. Um, I have to run the center. Kylie is a huge help because she um, is really great with people, so she can help oversee the volunteers, and she's a much better teacher than me. But then you have those volunteers, and you need people who are committed but you do need that diversity, and we have, um, right now we have mostly older women because they have the free time. Mm-hmm. I so would love some younger women. I do have an 18-year-old, which is so exciting wow. to me, and she'll be working with me in Ovid. Um, so I think that, and she came when she was 14 mm-hmm. and started. Um, I have a girl who just does the office work, so... So yeah, you do you do need um, a nice diverse to keep things going, and team morale is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. And beyond morale, um, what what is sort of the big challenge that you guys uh, have to contend with day in day out every year? Um, just keeping an organization like the Hope Center uh, moving forward, mm-hmm. running in the right direction. Well, the biggest challenge would be money. Mm-hmm. So, but then beyond money is um, finding more more volunteers would be another great thing because then um, we maybe could expand our hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. And board members, we you know you need board members as a not for profit. Mm-hmm. There are you know guidelines. So yeah, but I think money would be the biggest issue. And uh, last question for you. Um, where can folks learn more about what you do, maybe make a donation, uh, and, and help contribute to what you guys are doing, uh, which is awesome work in Geneva? We have a website. It's familyhopecentergeneva.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Family Hope Center, and it's got the great sunflower logo. Mm-hmm. That's how you know us. Can't miss it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes um, from today's show. Uh, Dorian, thanks so much for coming in. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, before we wrap up, a reminder, new episodes are released every week on FingerLakes1.com. You can download our app for the latest breaking news and podcasts like this one. If you want to drop us an email, that is inside the FLX at FingerLakes1.com. You can also visit InsideTheFLX.com to leave us a voice message. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on an Apple device, please rate and review the show. It helps new listeners join the thousands who already listen each and every week. I'm Josh Durso for Doreen Teed for Inside the FLX. I will see you next time.